0: Hello, and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump in today's episode. Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. We have Ashley here on the podcast to share her birth story. And I was actually, spoiler alert, Ashley's doula. So I'm excited to hear her birth story from her point of view. Um, So thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) Starting off, tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about your family. Uh,
1: So it's me and my husband, Taylor. We've been together 10 years. We've been married for five years and we have three fur babies, two that wait, two dogs and a cat. And we live in Charlotte, um, Southwest Charlotte. We've been here three years now.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. And how old is your little one? Uh, six weeks. No, seven weeks today. Wow. That's
1: oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> <nice>. Seven weeks. <laughs> Did it feel like it was longer ago than that or shorter?
1: No, shorter. Like I feel like I was just in the hospital last week. Are you serious? <laughs> Like, I blinked,
0: and he turned seven the uh, I Yes, it goes by so – I mean, they say, like, babies don't keep, and it's the truest yeah, it's thing ever. Totally
1: true. it's so, so true. I feel like pregnancy lasted 27 years, and now having him, it's just flying by.
0: Oh, that's so – see, I felt, like, the opposite. I felt like my pregnancy was a blink of the eye, and then those first three months, I was like, oh, my God, I, I feel like this – I feel like that aged me, like, 27 years. myself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I'm sure people understand once I get into my pregnancy, story, but that was long for me.
0: Yes. I I totally understand that. So let's start kind of back at the very beginning. Tell us about getting pregnant, um, finding out you're pregnant, all of that and your journey to getting pregnant.
1: Yeah. So it was not an easy journey. Um, My husband and I we were sort of not, not trying, which I found out later counts as like a year of infertility, but I didn't know that because we weren't like consciously putting in an effort really. So we did that for a year. Um, and then eight months into us actively trying, this was after I went to two different doctors and I just was like, you know what, go ahead and check me out for like PCOS, endometriosis, thyroid, Like I want the full workup because I don't want to be one of those people who actively tries for like three years and then finds out they had a thyroid condition all along. And, you know, it could have been a simple medication, not that that's simple, but you know what I mean? Like there's a fix. So first I went to this male doctor and he told me just to have a bottle of wine and not stress. And I was like, is that your professional medical school opinion? <laughs> And so I asked him, I saw a picture in his office of him and his wife with their baby. And I said, oh, is that how you guys got pregnant? And he's like, oh no, actually my wife had to be on Clomid because she doesn't ovulate. And so I was like, you then should know that it's not that easy to get pregnant. Like, what are you talking about? So I switched to a female doctor who I just felt more comfortable with. And she did a full workup on my, everything was fine. So we went along trying for another eight months. And then at the eight month mark, I was like literally devastated every single month that I wasn't getting pregnant. And- I remember the day before I was on the phone with one of my best friends and I was just crying to her, like, I'm just never going to get pregnant. And, you know, that, that season of life is so difficult. And the next morning I had plans to go to brunch with her, that same friend. So I was like, I'm going to get wasted on some mimosas tomorrow and just drink away my feelings. So I was like, let me just take a pregnancy test because my period was due that day. But it's like, I know I'm not pregnant because I've been having cramping. Like, I feel like my period's totally coming. And I took a test and there was two lines And I was shooketh to my core. I just did I had this like core belief that I could never get pregnant. So I was so shocked. And it was like 7.30 in the morning that I had just woken up to pee and it was a weekend. And I was like, Taylor, that's my husband's name. I was like, we have to go to CVS to get more pregnancy tests because I only had those like cheap little ones, you know? And we looked it up, CVS wasn't even open yet. So we had to just sit there like twiddling our thumbs for 30 minutes until they opened. (laughs) And then we got digital tests and we found out we were pregnant. And so I immediately went to the doctor. I called them and I was like, when can I get in for an ultrasound? I'm like super type A. So I was like, let's get on it. And they were like, we don't normally see people until eight weeks. So I ended up calling them. That was on a Sunday. I ended up calling them the next day because I started having spotting. So I started getting nervous and I went in and got a blood test. They confirmed that I was pregnant. I got a, another blood test 48 hours later. And they said, they thought I might be having an ectopic pregnancy because my hCG levels were going up, but I wasn't, they weren't doubling like they were supposed to. And so I just kind of sat there and it ended up being like a week and a half drawn out thing of like ultrasounds and all these shenanigans to basically confirm that I was having a miscarriage. And that was devastating. But then I put all of my efforts into getting pregnant like I was like oh I've heard you're so fertile after your miscarriage you know so we're just gonna pregnant again it's gonna be fine and I started like really obsessing about it and I made an appointment with the fertility clinic because I was like something's wrong I've had a miscarriage and you know we've been trying for all this time they couldn't get us until December so we were just trying until then and so one thing that if anyone listening is like struggling with miscarriage I just want to say so many people said to me, like, at least it was early, at least this, which is such BS crap. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people, I think, are surprised to find how traumatizing a miscarriage is. And vice versa, some people have miscarriage and they just move past it, And it really isn't for them. They're like, oh, well, that was just my body's way of saying that wasn't a good embryo. And it really doesn't impact them emotionally. But I just want to say it's okay if it is super traumatic for you, because mine was, and I had to go to actual like PTSD therapy specifically from that first miscarriage. Like it was really hard for me. So anyways, I just want to drop it in there. But
0: um
1: I ended up we started with the fertility clinic in December, end of December. Then I found out in January that I was pregnant again. So I was like, oh my gosh, we just started with this fertility clinic and now I'm pregnant. So I'm not even gonna need them. We just paid all this money to have this consultation because of course our insurance doesn't cover infertility unfortunately. And then I ended up having another chemical miscarriage and we worked with them for like six months. And basically we ended up determining that we had male factor infertility. So we started planning to do IVF because we weren't good candidates to do IUI. And I was waiting on my period last July. So like basically a year ago, I was waiting on my period to start IVF and my period didn't come and I was pregnant again. And so I was so excited. I was like, Oh my gosh, we're not gonna have to do IVF. We're going to save all this money. Like, this is God's will. This is amazing. Like, and I spoke with this one nurse who had kind of been there with me through the whole journey. And she called me when my numbers had doubled and she was so excited for me. She was like, your HTT doubled. Let's go ahead and schedule your ultrasounds. Like everything was just going so right. And I really thought like, this is it. Yeah. And then there was just something in me that was like, maybe it's just like trauma and I'm being paranoid, but like, I just feel like something's off still. And so I was like, can I get a third blood test? So I went in on that Monday and that same nurse called me later that day to tell me I was having another chemical miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And I could tell, like, she had really just bonded with me and I could tell it was like so hard for her to have to tell me that, you know, cause we've been so excited together, but that's relevant for later in the story. But so we ended up doing IVF, we moved forward to IVF. And when she found out that we were gonna move forward, she had had a patient who canceled their IVF round and she ended up actually donating over $5,000 of medications to us. That's because amazing. like she was so invested in our story and I'm just so grateful for her. So she was definitely a part of our journey, but um, we ended up doing IVF and it was successful. We had our transfer October 12th of 2021. And four days later, I took a pregnancy test. I was planning to wait until my beta blood draw, but I called my doctor because I had spotting again. And I was like, okay, here we go again. You know, like, miscarriage number four. And he was like, you know what? It actually sounds like implantation bleeding. Like you should take a pregnancy test. And I was like, are you sure? Like I have another four days until my beta. And he was like, yeah, just take one and call me back. So I took one and there was a very faint line, but it was definitely there. And there was no, this is something that I think a lot of times infertility robs you of. It's like, there's not these surprises, Mm -hmm. you know, like all of our friends knew we were doing this transfer. Mm -hmm. They knew that We had transferred a, like a boy, some people knew we had transferred a boy. So I don't know, just, you know, it took a lot of that fun surprise away. Mm -hmm. Like people who didn't know that we had done IVF, they would ask me, how did you tell your husband? And I wish I had this cutesy story of like, oh, I bought a onesie and he came home from work, but you know, it was a Saturday and he was home and he took the pregnancy test with me because we had invested so much time and money into this journey. Like we were in it together, you know? when I took that test, he found out with me. So that was a special moment still to like find out we were pregnant with our rainbow baby, but it just wasn't, you know, this like traditional story, I guess. Right. So yeah, that's how we found out we were pregnant and that's how we got pregnant. I'm very thankful for modern medicine that we could have our rainbow baby with us now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely you know, like you said, just a long journey and it is, it's miscarriage is so traumatic because the minute you get those two lines, I say this to people all the time. I'm like the minute you get those two lines and and for some people, maybe it's, you know, they're just like, okay, you know, it is what it is. Um, But for most people, you get those two lines and your head as a woman, like it already goes somewhere else. You're already envisioning, you know, holding your baby and you're envisioning what they're going to look like and who they're going to be and all these things. So it doesn't matter if it's, five minutes after you get that positive or 30 weeks after you get that positive, like it still hurts just as bad. I mean, I like my heart. I mean, I, I knew of course your a lot of your guys's journey, but you've never shared it so in depth with me. And, um, my heart just goes out to you it, truthfully, because I know it was the darkest time of my life when I had my miscarriage and I truthfully like cannot imagine going through it three times. I honestly can't like, it makes sense that you said you had to have like literally like PTSD therapy afterwards and stuff. I mean, that that is hard. That's really hard. And so, you know, I love that you're here though and coming on the podcast to share it because you are not the only one. There are so many women out there and just hearing that, you know, it's not like you have the answer on how to you know, necessarily even help somebody through it, but just knowing that you're not alone in that. I know for me, that was huge. Like I, I binge listened to podcasts of miscarriages because that just made me feel like somebody was holding my hand through it. Um, So oh. I'm just, I'm so glad that you're here and you're talking about it and, and just sharing it. It's, it's very hard.
1: Yeah. I found it so helpful. I found a bunch of uh, sort of infertility Instagrams and yeah. I started leaving like miscarriage loss trying to conceive content and it did make me feel a lot less alone and I would see other women commenting and you know I did some things to memorialize that first pregnancy that we lost and that helped me but there's just certain things that stick with you like I'll never forget that as that hard one of the hardest things for me was that it was during COVID when all this happened. And so I was at the doctor and they didn't have their waiting room opened. They just had a chair in like the hallway Mm -hmm. and they were also slammed. So there wasn't an exam room for me to be in. So like I went to the ultrasound where the lady told me, I'm sorry, we don't see anything. And then I'm just back in the chair in the hallway. Where right. everyone can see me and it's like, I'm trying not to, you know, bust into tears in the hallway. Then I go to the lab where they're drawing my blood to prove I'm having miscarriage. And they put me back in the hallway. So and traumatic. And like the blood lady's like, oh, how are you doing today? You know, all peppy. And I'm like, not so great. Thanks. And I think what, what was really hard is that there was a woman there for her six week postpartum visit. I remember. And she had her baby and I'm sure it was such a journey for her to get that baby, but She was parading the baby around to all the nurses, like, look at this. And it was at the exact moment that I was like bleeding out actively my miscarriage. And she was like, look at my baby. And the baby was crying. And I just was like, this is the worst day of my life. You know, it was so hard. And so I think it taught me so, so much though, about being empathetic to other people. Like I know when, when I then went to my postpartum visit, I was very cognizant to, make sure he was just sleeping before we got there and to go right into my exam room. I wasn't showing him to the nurse or anything. Cause I don't know what the other women are going through who are there. Not yeah. everyone is there with happy pregnancy, you know? Definitely.
0: Yeah. I think that's so true. You, you, you don't know. I mean, you don't know what other people are going through. And most of the time, you know, you go to the OB and it is d- normally something happy. Most of the time they're doing pregnancy checks and they're routine things, but there are a lot of times where people are there and that's not what they're there for. It's, it's, it's hard. And, um, yeah, I, the whole COVID thing and not having, you know, somewhere to sit in private and just trying to like keep it together in a, the middle of a hallway in a chair. I can't, I cannot imagine. Um,
1: it is so helpful, though, like you were saying, to find other women to find support. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: the more that I have spoken about it, even with strangers um, who I've confided in, it's, I mean, alarming, but also sort of nice to find camaraderie in these other women who have mm-hmm. had miscarriages. The more you open up about infertility and loss, you find out so many people you don't even know in your life suffered through the same thing. And it just, I think it's becoming a lot more common to, to talk about it. but you know, it was this big taboo thing or the shameful yeah. thing. And there's absolutely no reason to feel shame. And, you know, I think a lot of women blame themselves after they have miscarriages. Like, what did I do wrong? Did I eat something wrong? Did I sleep on right. the back absolutely. or, you know, whatever. And it's not your fault is like the biggest thing I learned through extensive therapy.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. That's very true though. At the end of the day, like it is not your fault and there's nothing you could have done to change you know, and, and not that that like heals necessarily to hear, to hear that, like, it's never going to just like make it go away. It's still going to, you know, hurt and it's going to be hard. But I do think like, I just kept telling myself, like, cause that you do, you beat yourself up about it. Like, well, did I do something? And, and I remember when I finally just accepted the fact that like, I could not have controlled this. It was nothing I did. Like, it was just out of my control. It just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is healing to, to, but you have to truly accept that. And that takes time. That is part of the healing process. And it takes time.
1: And for sure, if you're like a control freak type A person like me, that Mm -hmm. is very difficult. And so uh, almost, I mean, obviously there was a lot of unenjoyable parts of IVF, but that was sort of enjoyable for me that there was, I felt like I had some control because I was actively giving myself the medications and being monitored so much. Like I felt like I had a lot more control and unfortunately, IVF is not a guarantee. No, it's not. You still really don't have control ultimately, but I felt, I don't know, I just felt better doing something like working towards that pregnancy.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. So take me kind of through your pregnancy. Um, how was your pregnancy? How was your first trimester? My first
1: trimester was pretty great. I didn't get that sick. Um, I didn't have a lot of nausea. I did have super smell sensitivity and I could just smell everything. Like I joked with my husband that I was like, they should train me to be like a drug sniffing dog. <laughs> smell everything I never realized how how did you do your nails I didn't I couldn't stand the smell; like I was gonna die so that was a nail free zone which is very rare anyone who knows me like my nails are done that's what I was
0: gonna say side note like she always has the cutest always doing her nails yeah like okay people can't see it right now but they're very cute right now and I'm not talking like just painted like no designed over the top super cute um Yes. So that's shocking.
1: The uh, dazzle dry. That's my favorite nail polish. Everyone should check it out, but <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do it in my first trimester. It was awful. And I, I had the weirdest triggers. I had some cravings. I craved things that I've never liked before in my life. I craved orange juice, which I normally don't like. I craved cream cheese, which I normally don't like egg salad, which is so random. So random. Um, and I had a super strong aversion to my husband's deodorant. And that was like the number one trigger that would make me sick. Like he would come out of the shower, fresh and clean. he would put that deodorant on and then I would vomit. Like I oh, no. hate the smell of it. I made him switch deodorants. I was like, I would literally rather smell your BO than smell it. And I don't know what it is. Even post-pregnancy, I still can't stand the smell of it. I think it's like just triggering to my nausea. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh. Like
1: you have PTSD from his deodorant. <laughs> from his deodorant, literally. Like I'm like, you have to switch. I think it's just the sense. I'm like, you have to switch scents or something. I don't know what's going on, but- yeah. My first trimester was, I mean, you know, I had normal, like fatigue. I was tired yes. all the time and that was pretty much it. It was easy breezy.
0: Okay. I mean, so- it
1: was I had an ultrasound because I'm a psychopath. I had an ultrasound every single week. I, I basically just told my fertility clinic, like, look, I have a history of loss and I have a, a lot of anxiety. So I just asked them like, you know, I've paid you guys a lot of money. Can I just come every single week and get an ultrasound? And I did, I got an ultrasound starting at week five um, all the way through week 10 with them, which was so nice of them. And they normally make you graduate at eight weeks. And I even stayed two weeks later with yeah. a weekly ultrasound. So, you know, that I think I wouldn't have survived like with my anxiety past that first trimester without doing that. But that gave me a lot of reassurance to see him grow every week. And they grow so much in that first trimester. It's literally like a little chia seed. I don't know what the, uh, was like a lemon or something at the end. Like I can't even remember now, but they just grow so fast in that first trimester.
0: Absolutely. Wow. That's, that's amazing. They do grow very fast and that's amazing that they even let you do weekly ultrasounds. Um, because it's, you know, it's a big perk. I was a nurse when I was pregnant and having access to things was very nice. It's a very big perk of, you know, working as a nurse. It gave me a lot of peace of mind, having my midwives and Dopplers and ultrasounds and everything at my fingertips. Um, So I totally know what you mean after a loss when you're like, I want a weekly ultrasound or, you know, it, 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 it honestly is so much anxiety.
1: Yes. And, and I consider myself like scrunchy. I'm like half crunchy. And so before I got pregnant, uh, and before I had gone through my miscarriages, I listened to this um, podcast, the Ultimate Health Podcast, and I had told myself like, "Oh, this is the this is the standard that I want to set." And she had only gotten one ultrasound at eighteen weeks, and I was like. She's like, you know, they haven't studied like how it affects the baby. Right. So I told myself, like, oh, I'm I'm gonna refuse like those yeah. to give me ultrasounds. I'm just gonna get the anatomy scan to make sure like nothing's wrong. And lol, what a joke! I <laughs> I okay. then was like, give me all the ultrasounds, please. Well, your your
0: baby is fine. So there's our there's our independent study. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. All right. So you know, leading up to towards the end of pregnancy, um, take me through. I guess first, like, what you were planning as far as birth preferences um, things that you were you know planning for and how you were kind of prepping for those um yeah let's go there first okay
1: yeah I, like I mentioned I'm kind of scrunchy so I had made like essential oil spritzers for labor I was absolutely planning a vaginal delivery um unmedicated and I was planning like going leading into this, I was doing dates and red, 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 tea. Like I had bought all this stuff. Like I was, you know, planning to go the full crunchy nine yards. And my mom had super fast labors. Like she only had a three hour labor with my brother and a four hour labor with me. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to have a quick labor. So it won't be that many hours of pain for me. You know, yes. I listened to every single episode of your podcast. I watched YouTube videos of unmedicated births. And I just tried to do a lot of like mindset work, grounding and not fully meditation, but just a lot of like, um, I guess it is kind of meditative, like grounding and imagery and stuff that I worked on my therapist that I was like, you know, it's all mental and I can do this. I talked to my husband about it and he was fully on board. So yeah, I went into it. I mean, my first, my second trimester was, was so easy breezy. I was like, I'm going to be a surrogate. Like, this is the best. Like I, I was having such a great pregnancy, and I was like, Of course, labor is going to go so smooth for me. Right. Like, I've been healthy. I was walking three miles a day, like, keeping my body
0: healthy. And I was really looking forward to my unmedicated vaginal delivery. <laughs> All right. So, tell us what um, came up that, you know, maybe I don't want to say it pivoted your birth plan necessarily yet at this point, but obviously, you know, you had a bump in the road at the end. So, kind of break that down and, and what exactly happened.
1: Yeah, when I was 29 weeks, I was on one of those three mile walks, and all of a sudden, I got super dizzy and thought I was going to pass out. And I sat down, and two minutes later, I was fine. I got back up, walked back home, and moved on with my life. But I knew it was one of the signs of preeclampsia because my OB office has me answer a questionnaire every single week when I go, and that was one of the questions. So I just mentioned to them, and I got some blood work done. They said everything was normal then progressively the dizziness and feeling like I was going to pass out kept getting worse and worse like over the course of the next week so by the time I was 30 weeks I went into my appointment and they are like you know what you're right this isn't normal but your blood work looks fine and they did a test where um, I don't know I'm sure you know what it's called but I basically laid down sat up and then stood up and they tested my blood pressure at each mm-hmm. and my doctor was suspecting that Oh, you probably have low blood pressure and that's why you feel faint, but it's actually the opposite. Uh, My blood pressure would shoot up super high with movement. And so that makes sense when I was on my walks and, you know, moving for three miles that I was getting this feeling. And so they basically diagnosed me with gestational hypertension and then they ran some additional blood work and find out I had a low platelet count and there's a fancy name for that too, but I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's some kind of gestational thing that happens as well. So that was-
0: cytopenia. Kind of,
1: there you go. I had <laughs> those kind of two diagnosis in the back of my head and they just said, you know, call so it gets worse. So by that Friday, my blood pressure was like 168 over like hundred when I was at home because I was monitoring at this point twice a day. I went back to the doctors for them to double check it. They confirmed it was in the 160s. And at this point they were suspecting preeclampsia. So they sent me to the hospital for the weekend. I did a 24 hour urine test and some additional testing. I did non-stress tests and everything. Everything came back normal. No signs of proteins in my urine or that I had preeclampsia, et cetera. And I went back home two days and things were getting worse still. So I went back to the doctor, I was like, Hey guys, I'm telling you something is wrong with me. Like, I know you've eliminated preeclampsia from all these tests, but I was like, this can't just be hypertension because it's not normal to have high blood pressure. I feel like you're going to pass out. The other symptom I was having is my heart was beating like out of my chest. Like I would walk two feet, and my heart rate would jump up super high mm-hmm. and it would feel like I was doing a, one of my Peloton workouts, you know, like running on my bike which was crazy because I've never had any of these problems before. And so they said, okay, let's send you back to the hospital where we have specialists who can check, check out your heart. You know, we're going to have neurology, check you out, et cetera. And they told me, we don't know how long you're going to be at the hospital. You could be here until you deliver. So they're like, go right now. So how do you go home in like an hour and pack for an unknown amount of time? I mean, I was like, okay, grab the phone charger. We'll figure it out later. (laughs) We went back to the hospital and, The next morning I got, um, an echocardiogram. My heart was totally normal. I had a MRI done on my brain. That was totally normal. I had, and I got checked out by neurology. Everything was normal. So at that point I met with the MFM, the special SOB and they said, you know what? We've eliminated all other issues and we have nothing like, we don't know what's wrong with you, but At this point, I had started having headaches as well that wouldn't go away. And so they said, we think you have preeclampsia, just an extremely unusual presentation of preeclampsia and that could happen. And I was 31 weeks um, when they diagnosed with preeclampsia. And that was a very scary appointment because my husband had gone home to sleep for the night and I was by myself. It was like 6 a.m. when they pulled me in and they said, you have preeclampsia and we're gonna deliver you like probably this week. So They said, we're going to give you the steroid shot today and tomorrow, and we're going to start you on a magnesium drip tomorrow for an induction. So I was like, okay, at least I'm still going to get my vaginal birth at this point. And that's when I probably called you and was like, what the hell's going on? You know, I was like, I don't know what to do. And I started preparing my mindset for a NICU time because they had the neonatologist come. We did a tour of the NICU, like they said, you're not leaving here without a baby. And that was a tough, stressful few days. Um, and then I was there in the hospital. They kept checking my blood pressures and things started stabilizing. I think at home, I'm just very active. I can't help myself. Like, you know, when you're home, you're just like, I have dishes to do. I have laundry, whatever. But in the hospital, I wasn't on official bed rest. Like I could walk the halls and stuff, but basically I was just sitting around all the time. Yeah, so I didn't really help. Yeah. There's nothing to do. Or like I was living for the gossip from the nurses, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and I became really close with some of them. I love the crew over there. I was a Presbyterian shout out to Presby. Um, but I basically stabilized when I was in the hospital. And so then they really didn't know what to do with me. Cause they're like, well, if there's not an indication to deliver you at 31 weeks, let's not risk the baby. Right. So we started talking about delivering at 34 weeks um, because the odds I think for the baby are a lot better then. But then at like 33 and a half weeks, they decided actually you're stable enough that we're gonna not deliver you at 34 weeks and we're going to send you home and we're gonna do two to three time a week office visits with non-stress tests. And you're gonna still monitor your blood pressure at home. And if anything goes wrong, you're gonna come right back. So I basically lived in the hospital. I think in total it ended up being 21 days. I lived there. And when I left, they started saying, maybe it's not preeclampsia, maybe it's actually long COVID. And I had had COVID 14 months before this. And they're just like, you know, it's so under research. We don't know, but if you do have preeclampsia, it's such an unusual presentation, but we also don't know anything about COVID. And it just was like, they had no idea what to do with me, honestly. And they finally just were like, we think you're healthy enough to go home. So I took it really easy. For the next few weeks. And I said, at the latest, you're going to be induced at 37 weeks. So that's when I started focusing on watching like uh, medical induction stories of unmedicated inductions. Because I know that's my number one fear going into labor was Pitocin. I was more nervous about Pitocin than I was about labor <laughs> itself, you know? And I was also very, very against epidurals. I, had seen the side effects I had researched side effects I really didn't want one I had back pain like my whole life so I was like I don't want this needle in my back I'm stressed out about it those are the two things going in that I was like I really don't want this and they said once you know I got there if my blood pressure spiked even one time they were going to put me on a magnesium drip and then I was going to be out of it so I was like great I'm not going to be in my full best mental state to really and you need to be like in your top to your mental state, to go into labor and be so strong mentally to get through that unmedicated, you know? So that's how I went into my labor, just being like, all right, well, plans are changing. We, got, this is going to be a little different than the unmedicated. Cause already when you're talking about induction, you have taken an unmedicated birth off the table, you know, but I was like, at least I could still have my vaginal. So that's how I went into things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, you were thrown so many curveballs like it was it went from, you know, preeclampsia, maybe not preeclampsia to a hospital admission for 21 days to, you know, a 31 week delivery, then a 34 week delivery, and then they sent you home and then, you know, um it was the 37 weeks. You had so many curveballs thrown at you, um but honestly, like I think you adapted in the most perfect way possible because even though now you were going to be induced you you know you didn't hold so tightly onto that birth plan that you originally envisioned you were like okay things are changing and and honestly like you rolled with it even you're going to get into your birth story but even with your birth story like you rolled with every curveball honestly so gracefully so beautifully like you i don't know you just handled everything so 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 well for you know how much was unknown and and how many of the things you originally wanted you kind of sacrificed on. Um, and we're okay with it. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I think part of that is my mentality going into this, especially with my past miscarriages is the only thing I say, like, it was important to me to not have Pitocin, blah, blah, blah. But like, truly the only thing that was important to me was coming home with a healthy baby Right. And my husband likes to remind me that it was also important that I
0: come home healthy as well. Yes. So
1: I was like, I'll focus on bringing home the baby healthy and you can focus on bringing me home healthy. It's funny
0: you say that because I'm thinking back to your birth story and I remember being like Taylor, do you remember when I gave him a back rub? I'm like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, his shoulders were like above his ears, y'all. He literally, his only fear this whole time. And,
1: you know, he lived at the hospital with me. He was there when they were like, you're going to have this. And he's a very stoic individual. He keeps his emotions really wrapped tight. He has zero anxiety. Like I, I live for his calmness. Like it really grounds me. I've never seen this man so stressed out in my life through my last trimester and all this. And I would talk to him about it. And his biggest fear was that I was going to die. That
0: was, yeah, I could tell
1: this <laughs> thing and I would because I also am a huge advocate for women and I would tell him like I'd be so upset and I'd be like we have the highest mortality rates for laboring women and and unfortunately he took those things really to heart and he, was yes. like, he died that's it like he was so stressed about it and we'll get into my labor story but he was like this is it my worst fear is coming true like he was so stressed out he was he needs so to tell the tale
0: Yes. And he's so sweet. And you can I couldn't tell at one point. I'm like, oh, either he's really calm and he's handling this well or he's freaking the hell out. Cause yeah. he is kind of like stoic in the way that I was like, Taylor, are you okay? And he was like, I'm freaking the hell out. And I was like, okay, I thought you were, but I couldn't really yeah, yeah, tell. Yeah. Um
1: internalizing.
0: <laughs> in the end, he did amazing. Um, of course, you guys both did, but kind of dive right in, I guess. Just um start your birth story. Tell us, you know, how your induction started um and how it progressed.
1: Yeah. So at 37 weeks, we were like on call to be induced and we kind of just sat around the house. Those were bored couple of days while we were waiting for them to have an open room. I was killing me. And finally they called, I was 37 weeks on a Thursday. They called me on a Saturday. They called me in and we got in like one and we started the induction at four. It was the plan. They'd been talking to me all along. So they said, you know, we're going to do the, I think it's like Cervidil or whatever. They did the oral medication to ride my cervix. And they said, we're going to do that for 12 hours. And then we're going to do the Foley catheter and we'll see how you're progressing. You may or not, may or not need the Pitocin. So I was like, oh, there's an option for me not to have the Pitocin. I was like hyped about that. And I had done, you know, like I'd watched all these birth stories. I listened to your podcast. So I knew how to advocate for myself. I knew what my choices were all along. So I knew going into it, some things I wanted, some things I didn't, and I started the aromatherapy, like pretty much the second I got in there, I was on the, I wanted like orange and neroli to be like uplifting and give me energy for all this. I was like, this is a marathon, not a sprint. They told me it could take two to three days to be induced. So in my naive mind though, again, I was like, well, it's also genetic. And my mom had a three hour labor when she was induced. Like she had Pitocin and three hours later had my brother. So I was like, okay, it's LOL, continue three hours. And I also was very cocky going into it that I had a high pain tolerance, which is such a joke now looking back, but, um, I really believed in myself and I yeah. got, I got the cervidil at four and 4 PM and 8 PM. The doctor came back to give me another dose and she did a cervical check and she was like, okay, you're like at a half or like one centimeter. So she's like, it's enough that we could go ahead and put the fully in." I was really excited because I was like, wow, I didn't think this was happening for 12 hours. So in my head, I was like, we're progressing so well. Everything's going moving so fast, like such a joke, but they put the Foley catheter in and my doctor was like, are you planning to get an epidural? And I was like, no, I i don't want an epidural. And she was like, yeah, I think you can totally do it without epidural because a lot of times people ask for an epidural before I even put this Foley catheter in and you didn't even flinch. Like she was like, you have such a high pain tolerance. And I was like... <laughs> At this point, I'm, like, riding so high. Like, she shouldn't have talked my ego up this high, honestly. So I'm, like, I'm about to kill this labor. And that's when things uh, immediately went downhill after I had the Foley catheter. It was pressing so hard on my bladder. It was so painful. My contractions started, like, I mean, as soon as they pretty much gave me that Cervidil and I had the Foley catheter in, my contractions started. By that evening they were two to three minutes apart and they were lasting a full minute. And I did at one point, I think that by 4.00 AM. So that was after 12 hours of having contractions. I begged the nurse to take all the monitors off me and get in the bath. You, I had called you and I was like, what can I do to like avoid that epidural because I'm starting to lose faith here. You know, I'm losing steam. And I was like, what can I do? So I got in the bath for probably an hour. And at first it was helpful. And then they just started getting, like, they were, I thought that was supposed to slow down your labor. It did not slow things down. It, if anything, it intensified my contractions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, Taylor? I I had a code word, pineapple. And I remember I texted you just the pineapple emoji. And you're like, what does this mean? Yeah. And I told Taylor, I was like, pineapple, get the freaking nurse in here. I want the epidural. And he was shocked because I didn't say indicate like earlier, really, that I had wanted one. And The nurse was like, are you sure? Like, I know that's not what you wanted. I'd hate for you to get one so early and to stall your labor. And I was like, I'm sure. I already said pineapple, guys. I want the epidural. So then you came. And when I got the epidural and all that fear I had about the epidural was so unjustified for my personal experience. Anyways, it was a miracle drug. I was so happy I got it. Didn't hurt at all. I thought it was going to hurt to get that thing compared to contractions an epidural is a joke like that's what i tell everybody yeah are you kidding it's like literally just getting a vaccine like it's, it's like nothing and it was the perfect epidural too that anesthesiologist did such a good job i could st- i still had like movement in my legs i could still feel my legs like i could fully move around my bed and everything but when they give you the epidural they also give you a urinary catheter i guess that's it's called and that is I was very surprised at how uncomfortable that was, especially because I had an epidural and I thought it was going to be, you know, pretty much numb.
0: And um, normally you are numb and you don't feel that catheter, but yours, yours must have been like sitting weird or in like the, that perfect spot. Cause yeah, yours bothered you. And normally, honestly, it does not. That
1: honestly and truly was the worst part of my labor. Yeah, like, I can say it that really with confidence. almost two months later that that catheter was the worst part. And I kept asking every time the nurses came in, I was like, are you sure it's in the right spot? Are you sure it's still in, are you sure? Like, and there was blood in the bag. So I was like, is that normal? I think it just wasn't inserted well or something. I don't know, but my dog is sneezing.
0: And we like, I remember like we advanced it a little bit. We, was it your right side? You, there was one way we could lay you where like it, I think actually it might've been like, I don't remember. There's one position we had you in where it didn't bother you as bad at all.
1: Only when I was like completely sitting upright. Yes, like that would it lay me down. It would hurt when I would go on my side, it would hurt. And you know, I wanted to move and pr- continue to progress my labor, but every time I did, it was excruciatingly painful. And also, I had no idea that you could press the button and get more epidural. And then, eventually, like 12 hours later, a doctor finally told me that. And I did try that, but it didn't really help the pain of the catheter, unfortunately. So I was miserable for a solid another day, <laughs> for like. 30 some hours, probably with that catheter in, I mean, post, like once I had my baby and everything, the relief I felt when I finally took that catheter out, it was the mm-hmm. best feeling, but anyways. um, So I continue to be on the servidil, and they took the Foley balloon out. And I think I was only like a two when they pulled it out. Like I had not really progressed and I was exhausted and devastated that that happened and they decided to not start the pitocin and basically start everything over which was just such a blow to hear that so we started the servidal over we started the foley catheter again you know we kind of just redid everything and i don't even know how many hours i was into labor at this point but they were just like we're just gonna keep trucking along and i couldn't feel any of my contractions that i will say is is the good news. I couldn't feel any of those things. I could see him on the screen and I was like, oh, cool. I guess the baby's coming. But I got to a point where I was just stuck at six centimeters. And the doctor came in, this is after 51 hours of labor. And the doctor came in and said, oh, well, we can put you know, this like probe, I guess, on and see how strong your contractions really are. And then we can come back and if we find out that they are super strong, but nothing's happening, we consider that like an arrest of labor and, you know, you might need a C-section or if we find out they're not that strong, we can increase your Pitocin and we can continue going on this induction.
0: Were you on the magnesium at this point too?
1: Oh, yes. So yes. I, I okay. forgot this part. As soon, Pretty much as soon as I was on the Cervidil, my blood pressure shot up to like mm-hmm. 180 something and- So the doctor immediately said, oh, okay. So it is preeclampsia. Like, Mm -hmm. sorry, we've been playing this back and forth game with you, but it is preeclampsia. So they immediately put me on magnesium. So I was on bed rest and epidural anyways, but then with magnesium, I was on bed rest as well. And And
0: something I like always say to people on magnesium is magnesium helps to, you know, protect you from like seizures and to lower your blood pressure because it relaxes all the vessels in your body. It's like, you know, um, when you're pregnant, if you get like a lot of, um, Charlie horses, a lot of times people like your OB will say, oh, you can take some like that calm magnesium drink or whatever. Um, so magnesium is such a relaxant in your body. So imagine now you're on the magnesium, which is making all your muscles, your vessels relax, but then you're also on Pitocin because your uterus is a muscle and we need to get it to contract. So, and do not quote me on this being like necessarily hundred percent, you know, science backed. Um, but it, it, I, from a nursing perspective, I can tell you right now, inductions with, You know, magnesium running are always a lot harder to really get that uterus to contract strong and frequent because they kind of counteract each other in a way, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, totally. And yep, I was in that magnesium probably after the first like 12, not even 12 hours, honestly. And they had to push um, blood pressure medications in my IV several times throughout Mm -hmm. the whole labor. My blood pressure just continued to spike. So that was something they were, you know, monitoring the whole time. And obviously, if your blood pressure gets too high, then uh, they want to have you at a C-section, it's just high risk for mom. So it was always teetering on, we knew I had preeclampsia or like the insective preeclampsia, I was high risk for having a C-section anyway. So I had mentally prepared that that might be an option, but I have had a friend who had a C-section and her recovery was just so, so difficult compared to my friends with vaginal birth that I was like, I absolutely don't want to do this, you know? But like you said, I had already made a lot of confessions to my birth plan. I had already had, I had already had an epidural and I just was really holding on to that vaginal delivery. But once it got to that point where I was just so stuck at six centimeters and the doctor was like, you know, we can continue on this journey. I was just, I was so done. I was so over it. And I think um, one thing I really gave myself, I gave myself the ability to change my mind. I really allowed myself to be that. to adapting to the situation because I'd never been in labor before. I had no idea how I was going to feel. I had no idea how intense those contractions were going to be until I got there. I had no idea how exhausting 51 hours of labor was going to be where I got, by the way, zero hours of sleep, even after the epidural, because I was still in pain. I had no idea how, you know, how all that was going to feel. So once I was in the situation, I did give myself some grace and was like, you know, we've never done this before. I'm just tired. And I told the doctor I actually want an elective c-section and again my husband was like um are you sure but at that point he was exhausted and he was like I mean whatever you want you're the one going through labor like I have no idea you know what this feels like so I was like all right let's do this thing and there was a a mom in the OR actually giving birth to quadruplets so I had to wait for insane and by the way she has another set of quadruplets just to let the listeners know she has eight babies but um she'll be on TLC like see catch you next season I on. hope so <laughs> but I had to wait a few hours for the c-section and the anesthesiologist came in and did the spinal and then I got really numb which I thought was going to freak me out like not being able to feel or move my legs at all but actually finally gave me some relief from that catheter so mm-hmm. I was like oh thank you and we went into the OR. I think at about nine and I ended up giving birth at 10, 14. So, you know, all in all, it was like about an hour um, of the actual procedure. And I still, I had asked, you know, along the way, I was like, I still want my birth plans respected. So we did ask for a clear drape at my C-section. So I asked for that. They were like, we got to find one. <laughs> they went and found one. And I went in, I sat down and, you know, i have heard that they strap your arms down. I really didn't want that. So they did not strap my arms down. And I really didn't want to wear a mask because I was just having a lot of anxiety about vomiting. I like, my, I don't know if you remember that, my whole labor, I just kept being like, is this mm-hmm. going to make me vomit? It's just going to be? I am yeah. so afraid of throwing up. So I was like, what if I throw up and I have my mask on? Like I'm be sitting in my own vomit. Absolutely <sighs> not. This is another thing like COVID has added you know, an element to labor that's very different. And so the anesthesiologist was like, you know what? All of us are wearing masks. This is your room. This is your labor. If you don't want to wear it, that's fine. I hope I'm not getting him in trouble with Noah by saying this. But no, you're not. (laughs) I finally like that relieved so much anxiety because I could breathe. And I was like, if I vomit, at least I can just turn my head to the side. But uh, Taylor was right next to me. And then you were next to Taylor. So I think you could see what was going on
0: like partially not much I mean I know what was going on I I you know um I didn't I didn't look too much yeah yeah
1: but Taylor couldn't see anything and like yes. he would probably been that husband who fainted so thank god yes. but, but um we just sat there and everything was pretty routine you know they told me what they were gonna do and the anesthesiologist really walked me through everything as they were doing it like I found so much comfort and he just had a very calming He was great yeah he was so great I was a little nervous because he was I'm 30 and he was 29 and he was like, Oh, I just graduated last year from nurse the school. And I was like, Okay, is this yeah. the first procedure? You know, no. <laughs> I was nervous. But he actually was like the best part of that OR, honestly. Yes. Um, so when it came time to actually take my baby out, whose name is Grant, they like the anesthesiologist, I could see him like preparing to lower the drape. Like he was like, okay, they're about to take your baby out. And then I hear my LB like, you know, they're talking about the procedure and everything. And then like the energy kind of shifts in the room and the anesthesiologist slowly like lifts the drape back up. So I'm like, oh crap, something's going wrong. And I think probably if you looked at Taylor at that point, he was probably white as a ghost. Like he's thinking my wife's dying. That's what's happening here. And the, Basically, Grant was just stuck. He was stuck in my pelvic bone. And I heard the doctor call in another doctor. He called in some more nurses. So then I'm like, something's really going wrong. They're like calling it for backup. It felt like a very long time. It felt like a very long time. And it was very, it was very stressful. And mm-hmm. I just was like, just breathe. Like, I was really focused. I didn't care about, honestly, that sounds bad. Like, I didn't really care about me making it through it I just wanted to meet my baby and hear yeah. him breathe for the first time and hear him breathe come earthside, like that was most important to me and so i'm like waiting and waiting like where's my baby you guys said he was gonna come any second now and he's still not here and i hear the doctor say like we got to get her frog legs and so i found out later like my legs were basically strapped down in a straight position and had to be frog legs and the nurse actually had to go in vaginally and push my baby off of my pelvic bone and then the doctor was able to pull him out like he just was so so stuck Obviously my contractions had been super strong and pushing him down, but unfortunately my anatomy just did not allow for him to come out. So it's a good thing actually that we had this C-section. He would never have come out vaginally anyways. And I would have just dragged on my labor, who knows how many more hours if I hadn't made this decision. And even afterwards, the doctor said to the other doctor in the ER, he was like, oh my God, I can't believe I tried to talk her into like continuing this labor. I'm so glad she made this
0: decision. And you going back to that moment when you made that decision, you know, I of course was supportive in anything you wanted, but I remember being like, okay, hold on. Like, let's sit, let's talk through this. And we did, we sat, we talked through it. Um, But you were so concrete in your decision. Like there was no, not even like I was trying to sway you, but there was no, you were like, yes, I understand everything. I don't care. I want this. I want this. I want this. I mean, you had, you were trusting your instincts, truthfully, like those motherly instincts, you just, I think deep down your body knew like he, he, he needs to, you know, it's been a while I'm tired and we got to just get him here um, because, and I know you'll probably mentioned this, you know, his little head Mark and everything. I mean, he was really, really in there.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. Like looking back, it was instinctual because if you had asked me going into labor, like about an elective C-section, I would have been never in my life, Mm -hmm. but there was just something in that moment that I was like, this is something's wrong. Like this has gone on long enough, and I just need to meet my baby, you know? Yeah. So they end up pulling him out. And then what felt like an eternity of him not breathing, he was over there. But um, Jen claims it was 15 seconds. It was I,
0: that part was not long. That was fast. I, <laughs> I promise. think it was
1: 15 years. Um, and so I was waiting for him to breathe, and he finally did, and then I was relieved. Part of my birth plan too with the C section was to do skin to skin in the yes. OR. And that's again you don't know how you feel until you get into it so that's the thing that kind of surprised me is they put him on my husband's uh well sort of chest but he was wearing a hospital gown my husband met him and then everyone was like okay like she wants I think you were advocating for me and you were like she wants to do a scan to scan like let's get the baby to her and actually I you were like no I didn't want to, and that really surprised me. I was just exhausted, and Mm -hmm. I knew in that moment I need to focus on like staying awake and getting through the rest of the C section. I need to focus on me right now, and then I can. I was like, He's breathing, so I know he's good, and I'm gonna come back to that, you know? Yes. And so then they were trying to finish like closing me up and stuff, but I had some hemorrhaging because it took him so long to get out. I had some like, you know, bleeding stuff, so that was like very scary for Taylor Taylor was like oh my gosh like this is that she's dying but um you know it ended up being fine obviously and they closed me up all was good they moved me to recovery and then I finally met Grant then I was like it had been like probably an hour you know the whole thing of them like closing me up and getting me to recovery and I I was rested enough that I was like okay I can sit here and really like enjoy him now we did Mm -hmm. skin to skin and we got we latched immediately. So I still got that like wonderful golden hour that I wanted to. It just was an hour later than I was expecting.
0: And, and even in that meantime, they took, um, they took us, me and Taylor out to the like post-op room and we got Grant skin to skin with Taylor. So even that hour, you know, where he wasn't skin to skin with you, when you were just kind of like taking, you know, a breath of air and kind of processing and just, um, you know, even kind of waking back up in a sense of like, just processing, I think what happened, um, he was skin to skin with Taylor. And that was, you know, amazing and something he really enjoyed for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and one thing that when I went into this labor, I also told myself, I'm going to come out of this labor, no matter what happens, feeling empowered yes. that I brought a human, human life, like into this world Earthside. no matter what happens. And even I, because of my history of miscarriages, I even told myself, even if my baby doesn't make it Earthside, I, I'm still going to be okay, no matter what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm not I've had enough trauma trying to get pregnant and trying to have this child. And I was like, I will not come out of this labor being traumatized. So I'm just gonna come go into this with total acceptance of like letting go and whatever whatever happens happens because I wanna come out just feeling so strong and empowered that I'm a badass woman who had this baby, you know. And that is what happened. Like even though my plans completely were upside down, flip-flopped, I did come out of it like I think you posted this term belly birth, and it's such an empowering term. And I still, I mean, the respect I have for women who do unmedicated labors is immense after feeling those contractions, but I still feel totally empowered by my elective C-section.
0: Yeah. And I even will share your story with like clients, if they, at you know, if I have a client who's going to have a C-section, like, you know, scheduled, and I have clients who are so afraid of that even, and they're going into it with opposite birth plans and they're just so terrified of it. And I'll literally use your story as kind of an example of like, you know, I had a client who was the same way, had everything planned for the opposite, but I'll tell you what, like, throughout the process she made every decision she chose the things things did not happen to her she chose the things that happened to her and at the end of the day even though her birth plan came out you know not not what she had planned for she was so happy by it she was so empowered by it she felt like a total badass through it um because truthfully and that's what I meant when I said in the beginning like you just rolled with the punches of your birth story and you still rode this train of you know you you really had a beautiful birth and not because it turned out the way that you planned, but because your attitude at, about it was just amazing. You were, you were just empowered and, and really honestly like in control in the ways that you could be throughout the entire thing.
1: Yes. I think if anyone else like is type A, like me doing research about all of the options yes. and all that can happen during labor, that I think is what helped me have feel in control still and feel so empowered because every step of the way, like you said, when the doctor came in and we were talking about, he was like, do you know the risks of the C-section? I was like, don't even bother with the spiel. I already know. I already <laughs> know all the risks. I already know about the recovery. Same thing with the epidural. I was like, I already know. And even when I chose the C-section, like I said, I was like, I want the clear jape. I want skin to skin. Like I knew what my choices were. And I along with your help advocated for myself every step of the way. So mm-hmm. by the time I made those decisions, like you said, it was concrete. I was like, yes. this is what it is. I know what I'm signing up for. This is what I want to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you truthfully did amazing with it. Um, Honestly, it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> so leading into kind of postpartum um, you know, you mentioned your friend having a C-section journey of healing that you thought, you know, was very hard. How was postpartum, um, as far as physical healing, um, it, it, and just in general, kind of how, how has your postpartum journey been?
1: Yeah, uh, a lot better than I thought it was going to be actually. And I think that's, that's what really scared me about a C-section is postpartum. I've heard the recovery is awful and that hasn't been my experience. And I've been very thankful for that. I was very nervous for my mental health as well, because I do have a history of depression and anxiety. And I thought, you know, this hormonal shifts, like that's going to happen to me. And it it hasn't. And um, one of the things I did for myself during pregnancy is actually got an anxiety medicine during that third trimester when everything was going on. And again, if you had asked me before, I would have been like, I'm never even putting Tylenol in my body when I'm pregnant. I would never do that to my unborn child, but I really needed it for my mental health. And I'm so glad I did that because I think that allowed my postpartum journey to be as easy breezy as it has been mentally anyways. Yes. Um, and physically, you know, the first, for sure week was difficult,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, especially in the hospital, because unfortunately they're just understaffed right now with COVID. And so I was supposed to get my pain meds every four hours. Sometimes it'd be like eight hours before I'd be able to get them. And that extra four hours that hurts. That's my alarm to go pump. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually it's okay. But, um, you know, that was very difficult and like not being able to shower by yourself without pain. It's just, like I said, I'm such a control freak. And so to have to ask for help to do every little thing was very hard on me. And I definitely had a breakdown about in the hospital. where I was just like, I just, I couldn't, you know, even I had a bedside bassinet and I couldn't even like roll over to pick up my baby I had to always ask my husband
0: I couldn't even do that from a vaginal birth so yeah it was just I promise I couldn't even like sit up
1: Yeah, that it takes so much out of you you know labor yes and I was very surprised and Taylor had never really held a baby before I never changed a diaper and he stepped up from day one like I'm very thankful to have such an amazing partner because he also didn't really have a choice because I physically could not do, you know, anything. He became like a swaddle master. He was like teaching me how to change the diapers. (laughs) So once we got home, um, you know, they told me to only go up the stairs once a day, which we're fortunate that our bedroom's on the main level. So we pretty much live down here anyways. I was expecting to want to go up, up and down the stairs into his nursery and use all his stuff. What a joke. Day one, I was like, bring it all downstairs. I'm never leaving here. And I still, seven weeks later, hardly go upstairs. It's just, you know, it's a lot of work. I want convenience. When you have a new baby, you're all about convenience. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously you're tired um, postpartum. You don't get a lot of sleep. And Grant recently has had a reflux. So he's been suffering a little bit. We've been getting a little less sleep. But, I mean, as far as now, like, I just got cleared at my six-week appointment. I can do everything. I can work out. I can, you know swim. I can do whatever. And I've had a great like physical recovery. It it was painful, but I can honestly say my egg retrieval for IBF was a more uncomfortable surgery than my C-section was. Wow. Like that was a lot worse physically on me than a C-section. So I'm really looking forward to my second child and having a scheduled C-section where I can skip the whole 51 hours of labor.
0: (laughs) Yes. I, you know, every, there are just, every way that you birth a baby has its own pros and cons. It really does. And, and no way is, is honestly better. C-sections are still hard work and they're still amazing. And you're still birthing your child and a vaginal delivery with an epidural or without an epidural, it's still hard work. You're still birthing your child. But I always tell my clients like who have to have scheduled C-sections. You know, there is a beauty in it. Like we already know that if you're already planning for that to happen, like let's look at the pros of it. Um, You know, you do get to just show up and, have a baby. It's, you know, you get a full night of sleep, you can plan for it. It's super in control. Um, so there are, you know, tons of pros people. I I, honestly, I've had a lot of people as a nurse, um, who have like repeat cesareans and they're like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, I love this. I just get to, you know, I had a full night of sleep, had a great dinner last night, got to, you know, wake up at 6am, do my hair and makeup, come in and I'll have my baby in my arms in 55 minutes. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's, you know, worst things have happened. I promise you. So, it, yeah you know I think that you'll probably like it a little <laughs> I think
1: I'm gonna enjoy that because yes. you know I can part of like why I was so exhausted too in the hospital is I hadn't slept in like three days yeah I hadn't eaten I mean let's be honest I was snacking oh yeah I <laughs> had a meal you know in three days because they won't feed you and I remember when I was like sneaking some trail mix, this is like a side note during labor. And I was like, Jen, what if I wanted to get a C-section? And you were like, well, you better put down that trail mix. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you did. You put like yeah, most of like- it
0: down, except like, what do you like? You don't like the M&Ms.
1: No, I, I don't like the ratio of M&Ms. It has yes. to be like one M&M to a whole handful of nuts. I'm like not super into chocolate.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that. I was like, girl, if you if you want a C-section, you better quit Shoot, yeah, like,
1: Okay, you're right. So, I, <laughs> But yeah, I think that, you know, that's such an exhausting part of an induction is like not eating, not sleeping. And then obviously the physical component. So I do have to have a C-section just because now we know like with my anatomy, I can't have vaginal births. And so I'm looking forward to just having, I know when my child's birthday is going to be, I'm going to get in, get out and get on home.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, that is, that's, per- that's fine. That's perfect. That is totally, you know, a great birth plan also, <laughs> yeah. um, it's a
1: very different birth plan than I had for my first, but now I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yes. Do you have anything else kind of from your postpartum experience to share? Um, and then of course I definitely want you to share, you know, if you had kind of one overarching, like top tip that you would give for, um, you know, new moms, um, or just mom's period, not moms in general, what would it be?
1: Um, I don't have anything else really for my postpartum, but okay. as far as the tips, I would say going into going into trying to get pregnant, my advice would be just to let go of control. And it's so hard to, it's so much easier to say that than to put that into action, mm-hmm. but you truly have no control over it. You're going to get pregnant when it's God's plan. Even if you do IVF, like I did, it can still fail. You know, yeah. it's not a hundred percent science and the doctors you're going to get pregnant when it's meant to be. And that's so annoying when people say that to you, but it is so true when you're in that season, it's so difficult to accept that. But that's what I would say for trying to get pregnant and also find support when you're in that season. And as far as being pregnant and going into labor, I would say be open-minded to whatever outcomes, you know, I think So much of birth trauma stems from, and not all of it, obviously, but I think so much trauma stems from women being so attached to their birth plan. And when things go wrong, they, that is so dramatic for them. Yeah. And I think that's how I was able to come out of it. You know, feeling empowered is having an open mind. So I would just say, be open-minded to whatever, even if you think I would never in my life do that. Surprise, Shouty! You might. So (laughs) so things are gonna change, and yeah, and then it's kind of a combination of that as far as being a mom is. It's so humbling how little control you have Mm -hmm. over. You know, you can't help if your kid gets sick. You can't help your child when they're in pain and they're screaming at you. I thought I was gonna day one get these motherly instincts and just know what was wrong all the time. That is not true. I. I mean, he'll cry and I change his diaper and then I feed him and he's still crying. I'm like, I have no idea what's wrong with you. Yeah. And then you just start, you try anything, it'll work. I mean, you take them outside or you walk them or whatever works for your child, but don't be surprised if you don't, if you're like me and you don't have these insane instincts because- I had friends who told me, oh, I'm so frustrated. My husband doesn't just know what's wrong with the baby. And I can hear the baby screaming. And it's so obvious that that scream means X, Y, and Z for my baby. And I'm like,
0: I didn't get that gene. I did not get that gene either, girl.
1: I didn't. I wish I had it because what a gift. Those yeah. are some strong letterly instincts.
0: You have to learn them. Like it's yeah. literally a, a, an, indi- I will say now at 10 months postpartum with a 10 month old, I do know what she wants most of the time. She's also much easier to read and actually wants things. Yes. Um, but when she was a baby, like you are learning them and, and newsflash, they cry to cry. They cry to freaking hear themselves cry. They don't want nothing. They don't need nothing. Yeah. They just want to cry.
1: <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> and also I think something important to remember is they're human beings. They are not this, like, they're not, you know, baby dolls. They're not like toys that are all the same. They're not these little yeah. robots. Like they are human beings. They also have preferences. Yeah. Things that my friend's babies have loved. My babies, my baby hates that or yeah. vice versa, you know? Absolutely. And you want to figure out what works for you and your family and be open-minded. Be open-minded mm-hmm. about it because there's a lot of things like all these Safe sleep practices. There's so much mom shaming and everything that goes on. And I, you know, again, the kind of like my birth plan, I told myself, oh, I would never do that. I would never nap with my baby, you know, sleeping on my chest. Guess what? When you're on two hours of sleep, you're going to accidentally fall asleep. And there's no point in shaming yourself. You wake up, thank God your baby's still alive. There is no point in dwelling on that and mm-hmm. being like, I'm a terrible mom. And that's how it feels, you know, in in the moment that you're like, I went against my safe sleep standards, but I just think you have to have grace for yourself You do, in in the season of motherhood.
0: I totally agree. And I love what you said kind of about, um, you know, the, the birth trauma, like, or, or just trauma in general, really like keeping an open mind is a huge way to almost like protect yourself against that. And I think two things that you did, these are like my number, my two top things that I tell everybody when it comes to birth is number one birth or just trauma in general comes from when you're not educated on something. If, if things are happening quickly and a doctor's like, I need to use the vacuum to deliver your baby. And you're like, I've never heard of a vacuum. What the hell is a vacuum? Like you don't know anything that's traumatic. But if you're like, okay, I know what a vacuum is. I've seen a vacuum. I know the pros. I know the cons. I know the risks you, your birth plan changed, but you were so well-rounded and educated and we talked through so much stuff and, and you just, the education was a huge thing for you, but then also the other side of that is having that open mind of being like, okay, you know, things, I cannot control everything and preparing for that, you know, while you were still pregnant of having birth plan, ABCD. I think that those two things alone are so important when it comes to trauma is just education and having an open mind for plans to change. And I think that that's two things that you just did beautifully.
1: Yeah. I, I think coming up like that education allowed me to feel like that these things were happening Like I chose them and they were happening with me Absolutely, they weren't happening to me. Mm -hmm. That's where, you know, I think people feel very traumatized is when all this stuff is just happening to them. But I was like, no, this is happening for me. This is happening so I can be my baby. This is happening because I made this decision Mm -hmm. because I'm educated about my choices and I can do X, Y, and Z. The C-section is just another tool I'm going to use. The epidural is just Absolutely. another tool in my toolbox that I'm using. It wasn't like, oh, all these things are happening to me that I didn't want to happen. You know, like, no, those things happen for me, for my advantage. So yeah, that's probably the mindset I would go into it. That I would say is, these things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you.
0: Absolutely. Well, I love all of that. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your time with me and sharing your story. I loved like just recapping it and reliving it and hearing it obviously from, you know, your eyes and your point of view. Um, It it truly was amazing. I seriously bring it up to clients who, you know, mainly when they're talking about how afraid they are of a C-section and how they have this birth plan that is totally left field and that C-section will never be in the plans. I usually say, you know, I had a client who was the same way and she had the most amazing C-section and. And, you know, it it truly is an inspiring story for women out there who maybe have birth trauma because they ended up with a C-section. They didn't want just to hear it from your point of view um, and just how you were able to spin it into something positive and beautiful and empowering. It's just, it's great to hear your entire story. Honestly, there's just so much. I just know so many women out there who have had, whether it's, you know, the infertility journey, the miscarriages, preeclampsia to a birth plan that didn't go their way. Um, Your story is just so inspiring, truthfully.
1: Thank you. I had to work very hard to get this child here and he was really trying to take me out, but
0: he he (laughs) He was was really trying to take you out.
1: (laughs) He's really just the best blessing And, and having you as a doula was such a blessing. Like honestly, best money I ever spent. So glad I did it even though like it wasn't this unmedicated birth where you were changing my positions and like beautiful twinkly lights. Like I ended up wanting to be like in a dark cave and not talk to anyone and then have a C section, but still to have someone there to advocate for you along every step of the way and support you, even when you change your mind was so crucial. So I'm so thankful to you and anyone who is thinking about having a doula, obviously like hit up your girl, Jen,
0: because (laughs) it's so worth it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to another episode of What the Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at whatthebumpclt. Check out our website, whatthebumpclt.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.